Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. After he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order, y- order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, they will come upon you, when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, and you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Then he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling things there. And he said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching in the temple. The chief of priests, The scribes and the leaders of the people kept looking for a way to kill him, but they did not find anything that they could do, for all the people were spellbound by what they heard. The first time I was invited to join a protest, I didn't know what to do. Students at my university had set up tents on the green to protest apartheid. Taking turns with a bullhorn, they read accounts of the South African government's policy of racial segregation and white supremacy. They insisted that our university divest its financial holdings in South African industries. It was the first time I had ever heard of any of that. Apartheid, divestment as a political strategy, student protest as a mechanism to effect justice on the other side of the world. I sat on the edges and listened and learned. The first time I fully engaged a protest was in Birmingham, Alabama with a baby on my hip. I don't remember the issue exactly, but it was all the issues together. Something, something racial injustice, something, something police violence, 
something something de facto segregation and entrenched urban poverty and white flight and all the ugliness of the Old South still having its way with us. I barely belonged there, but people I loved and respected said it was important. Somebody took a photo of Lydia and me. It hangs in my house today. The first time I left my house during the pandemic for anything but church and groceries was the day after we learned of George Floyd's murder. Shouting and sweating, carrying a sign to say their names through the streets of Fort Worth, George, Brianna, Ahmad. We wore masks, so the shouting was muted. I did not know the route. I did not know how long it would take. I did not know how to get back to my car at the place where we had started. I had learned by then that the only appropriate way for someone like me to help is to relinquish control and follow someone else's lead. Chant what the leaders chant, go with the flow. Jesus' best friends did not want him to go to Jerusalem, neither did his family of origin. It was dangerous. They said, the city was locked down tight against troublemakers, the religious leaders not wanting to ruffle the feathers of the Roman provincial governor, the governor not wanting a report of unrest to get back to Rome. Just stay in the countryside, they said. They love you out here, what with the healing and the hot lunches and the hope you've got to offer. Don't make trouble for yourself. But Luke reports that at a certain point in his ministry, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He aimed himself like a truth-telling missile directly at the powers that be. He would go, and he would make quite an entrance. He would collect his followers into a protest parade a satirical mockery of military pageantry. He would play the general riding on his war horse, an unbroken colt, clumsy on spindly legs, hard to stay on, impossible to steer. With no trumpet fanfare to sound his entrance and no army to lockstep behind him, his followers, the poor, the exhausted, the left out and put down, and all their soggy kids would sing and skip and twirl and shout their way into town. Branches cut from trees would serve as banners, the flags of his realm, all heaven and nature under the royal reign of God. No red carpet, but dusty cloaks laid down on the dusty road a masterful improvisation by a troop of jesters poking mighty fun at the imperial propaganda parades intimidating the populace they govern. This is not how God reigns, Jesus' parade said, with intimidation and the threat of violence, but rather like this, with humility and humor and singing and solidarity. And at the end of the parade, well, a demonstration, a disruption, 
the commercialized temple, the religious center stripped of spiritual devotion in favor of profiteering, in the name of the God who sent him, he could not abide it. He risked his own arrest on the spot with every shove, every shout. No justice, no peace, he roared and sent the sellers running. That he walked out of there alive and free was a new kind of miracle. The powers that be frozen in powerlessness as his powerful protest held the people spellbound. Don't let anybody tell you following Jesus is not political. Now the festival of the unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was near. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put Jesus to death, for they were afraid of, it, of the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers of the temple police about how he might betray him to them. They were greatly pleased and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began to give and began to look for an opportunity to betray him to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of the unleavened bread, so which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover meal for us, that we may eat it. They asked him, Where do you want us to make preparations for it? Listen, he said to them. When you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house, he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, already furnished. Make preparations for us there. So they went and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When the hour came, he took his place at the table, and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the, is the new covenant in my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. For the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to the one by whom he is betrayed. Then they begin to ask one another, which one of them it could be who would do this? A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was to be re regarded as the greatest. But he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? 
Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Do you remember when your best friend was consumed by Satan? <laughs> it's not like you had friends to spare, just only a handful whom you could really trust. See, there's a lot of things about you that people in this world just don't understand. They don't know how to categorize you or really what to do with you. Some of them don't quite believe that you are indeed a part of their religious tradition the way you pretend to be or that your faith is really genuine. Others think you're too engaged with that faith and you should let it go for a more radical kind of revolution. Lots of people in the world just don't know what to do with you and that's dangerous for you. So you just keep a handful of really close friends. They're your family of choice. The ones you want to be with when the shit hits the fan. The ones you want to eat and drink with. The ones you observe your religious customs with. They're your ride or die. The group chat you keep pinned in your phone. You all know what role you'll have in the zombie apocalypse. And when you were a pandemic pod, these were literally the only people you could eat with. You never have to wonder who these people voted for or what they say about your lifestyle behind your back. Then one day something changed with one of your besties, something serious. It was like they'd been possessed or something. I mean, you racked your brain for signs. Could you have seen this coming? Should you have known? But no, it wasn't predictable. The sharp turn in the heart of this good friend was so drastic you could only ascribe it to evil forces beyond your understanding. Suddenly they were like all the others, like the rest of the world that didn't understand you. They didn't get it anymore. But hadn't they understood you before? Hadn't you all been on the same page? Didn't you have the same goal, the same mission? Not anymore. Your former BFF was retweeting your worst enemies now just like the others, only worse because they knew you. They knew you so well. They knew where you went to pray by yourself. They knew where you'd be hanging out with the rest of the crew. They knew too much. Do you think they thought they were doing the right thing? Were they just convinced by misinformation? Were they really a predator or were they another victim? Does it even matter? They're dangerous to you now, no matter what their reason, no matter what their intention. They might even think they still love you. They might even think their wounds are healing or saving, but you are not safe with them anymore. Remember when you, ugh, it makes my stomach turn to think about it. You ate with them anyway. You welcomed him at your sacred religious home with your family of choice, the one that used to be sacred and safe. Why didn't you just start a new group chat, dude? The rest of the gang would have understood if you just told them why. They would have picked a different spot, blocked him on all the socials, turned off their snap maps so he couldn't find the group hang. Why didn't you just tell them? Well, I guess you did tell them. You told them after it was too late for them to protect you. After you broke bread with him, shared wine with him, gave him everything he needed to hurt you in the worst way. And they all wondered, who could it be? Who could possibly do such a thing? This is our team. We were hashtag squad goals. We were all conspiring together. 
Who could have lost sight of the goal? Nobody in this group is dispensable. And then you kept sharing all your secrets. You made yourself vulnerable to the whole group. And before, that would have been normal, safe, sacred. But now, why would you do that? You entrusted your friends with your body and your blood, knowing that one of them had been won over by Satan. Why did you do it? Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace. Peace.